Because now I have entrepreneurs going, this is exactly what's happening in this economic challenging time that we're in. They're calling me up going, man, brother, we got, we're going to war together. Let's go. Like, how do we, Hey man, you know, what do we do? How do we strategize? How do we pivot? How do we, how do we change? Because I have targeted my marketing to the people that I love just killing it for. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. Explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Smarter Destiny podcast, season two first time I've had to say season two because this is the first episode in season two and you can hear how excited I am and kicking off season two because we're in season two is <laughs> we're doing the show with my buddy Mike Swigert he is uh, I mean I've got like half a page of notes here on on, on him so um, bear with me so he is an author he is known as the half a billion dollar man he is um, instrumental in over 500 million dollars worth of sales across a variety of very very high level blue chip companies he uh is one of justin timberlake's friends in his role within nsync we're going to just leave that hook opened he's a speaker a consultant he helps customers find revenue opportunities he's an outsourced cmo and he is the man to speak to if you're a little bit stuck for where to find your next lead or your next opportunity or where to cut fat or scale up in your marketing team amongst a ton of other things and so without further ado let's just get mike right here on the show and welcome him mike how are you and i'll tell you what martin that uh intro was extremely kind i'm very humbled to be on the show and i look forward to spending uh the next time with you and your listeners nice so am i so whereabouts in the world are you right now mike i am talking to you from the sunny atlanta georgia oh, i love atlanta georgia what um what part of atlanta georgia are you like like i'm like well, a local I'm, I'm like yeah yeah the west side yeah i know okay. well you're 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 talking to me at one of the most beautiful beautiful times in in atlanta georgia if any of your listeners have ever seen the masters on tv that's exactly what is happening in atlanta dogwoods are blooming azaleas are blooming cherries are blooming the the, the japanese maples it is just it is a it is one of the most cool times to be in the state of Georgia ever. I, I, I'm a runner, so I was out running this morning and I'm just like, I, I, it was so cool. Like, it's just a fun time to be here. Oh, amazing. It was taking your breath away uh, for a couple of reasons. And so, um, that, dude, that, that's so amazing. And <laughs> so I, I think elephant in the room, I mean, we're referring to all the beauty that Atlanta has uh, to offer, but we are recording this episode right in the middle of um, um, uh, a, a pandemic. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to refer to which one, but I think people will probably figure that one out. And so um, right in the middle of that. And so we are both isolated at home, but um, that isn't going to hamper anything. And I'm frankly, that's probably going to be the last time we refer to that particular thing. And so, Mike, what we typically do on these shows is we typically go back, we rewind to a point in your in your history, which was um, a key point in your history, uh, because it kind of started you off on your entrepreneurial journey. Now we had a we had a few um, you know discussions. We we talked about a few things before we came on live, and you pointed out that actually there was a sort of underlying thing that was fighting against your natural 
potentially natural entrepreneurial um, spirit. So maybe we can start with that and then transition into your journey. Oh, I appreciate it, Martin. I, I would tell you I'm that classic kid that, uh, you know, loved. I was born in Pennsylvania, actually. I wasn't born here in Georgia. And I, my, I was that classic kid that if it was if it snowed, I grabbed a shovel and knocked on doors and offered to clear sidewalks. If it uh, was warm out, I loved having lemonade stands. Really, really, really. Like, I just... I, I was that kid. If there was a fundraiser, if it was the March of Dimes, Jerry Lewis fundraiser here in the States, if that was that, I loved going and knocking on doors and raising money for it and and going in. It, like, I don't know. That's just in your DNA. Like, I actually think fondly about those times. And um, but the the funniest one, I was I was about 12 years old and these kids came knocking on the door. This is the beginning of my entrepreneur. Like, this is the very first. And I didn't even realize how impactful it has been the rest of my life. But these kids came to the door selling candy door to door. I don't know if you've ever, if this has ever you've had this experience, but they sell candy. And this is 1983. So 1983, $3 boxes of candy, which is probably like a $12 box in today's yeah, dollars. That's, that's you know, that's sorry for my number. Right? Yeah. So, so these kids come to the door and they're like, hey, we're selling this candy, blah, blah, blah. And I'm 12, they're 12, 13, 14, however they were. And they're like, man, you're a really good talker. Do you want to come sell, sell candy with us? And, um, we were, we didn't have a lot of money in our family and my mom and dad were just like, yeah, sure. Go, go sell candy. And like 30 minutes later, I'm in this unmarked van with no windows in the back of this van with like five other kids for two years, Martin, I sold candy every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday door to door two years. Right. Hmm. And if you sold 30 boxes on a Thursday or Friday night, you got 30 bucks. So what was my goal every Thursday? I, I learned commission sales. I learned bonuses. I learned kickers. I learned how to deal with it. It was kind of funny because that was that actually, as I've gotten older and older, what an impact that entrepreneurial experience was for me. Really cool. That's interesting because I always thought that any story that starts with a child getting into a van, <laughs> you know, with a, with a sort of enticement of candy normally ends badly. And I'm Maybe we should start encouraging kids to do that more. Maybe, maybe it's a different, <laughs> oh maybe it's a different time I, right now. I don't know. I know, but that's the thing. I know 1983, it was just like, oh, there's a van. I think my parents are like, oh, you can make money. Go do it. I'm Go like, get with a stranger in the van with I, his candy. Yeah. I know. I hope my mom's not listening because she'll just be like, oh, Michael, what did I do? What did I, do? <laughs> I hope she yeah. is listening. Anyway, so, so you, you, were, you got really, really good at, um, at selling candy door to door and, and figuring out commission and, and targets and goals and stuff. And so what kind of, um, what kind of journey uh, did that lead into? And by the way, is, is entrepreneurship in your blood? Was, was, did you learn from, from your parents that, you know, entrepreneurship is the road to go down and the best road to go down? I think that's a, that's a really, that's a really deep question. You and I could probably spend a lot of time talking about that. <laughs> I come from, I'm, I'm second generation, you know, uh, European immigrants. And, um, and my dad was this, um, this sort of this, this swashbuckling entrepreneur, always coming up with, with, different things that he was going to do. And, and it was going to be this advertising and, and he just didn't have a really good peer group around him. So as I was um, selling candy door to door and making money, and actually a lot of that money went back to my family. Um, you know, he was trying all these entrepreneurial things and sadly he, he really um, wasn't very good at it. He just, it, and obviously as you and I know, 
as we've gotten on our journeys and a lot of your listeners know, you know, having a peer group, having, have listening to podcasts like this, listening to amazing people and being surrounded by amazing people sure does help. But in 1983, 84 and 85, this didn't exist. And your ideas were all you had to live on. So I watched this guy who had this great gumption and this, this passion for entrepreneurship just fail over and over and over again. And that is actually the one that drove my entrepreneurial spirits to go definitely in the background. And I decided that that was, I was not going to be an entrepreneur. That is, that is not what I'm doing. I am going to get, I'm going to have a career. I am going to, to, to make an honest living. I am, that's what I'm going to do. Cause that I, I sure as heck am not going to be a failed entrepreneur. So that's, that, that hit me pretty hard too, because there's nothing worse than being, uh, how old I was 15 years old. And um, the sheriff comes up to your door and I'm thinking, you know, what did I do? Did I get caught for something? But sadly, the sheriff there was to let us know that they were going to uh, auction off our house because we were, you know, it had gotten that, that bad that it wasn't just failed entrepreneurship that I was literally watching, you know, it, it had gotten so bad that that they were actually auctioning off our house. And wow. Um, wow. and so when you talk about being a kid and you see this entrepreneur, oh, I, you know, this is what you do, this is what you do you want to drive yourself to kind of go like, whoa, 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 I'm not doing that to my family, you know? And, and that really drove me into uh, really a passion for a career path. Wow. And so what kind of um, things did you find yourself? So obviously you, you cut your teeth on the, um, the selling candy door to door, the lemonade stands and, and, and shoveling snow, but like later, later on in life, um, what kind of um, meaningful from a, from a sort of providing for your family point of view, uh, positions did you hold, be it entrepreneurship or, um, or employed? Mm -hmm. I took, I took positions in, in sales in the restaurant business. I took positions in, um, in the golf course industry. So I really felt like my grandfather, my mother's dad was in the, and his family comes down from a generations of farmers. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, that's, that's in my blood. That's in my DNA. That's a good, honest living, you know, being a farmer. Well, I was also a golfer. So it led to me going into the uh, golf course construction and golf course uh, superintendent world. So, I mean, that's a kind of aligns with everything. Really fantastic. But um, it, that's actually where the NSYNC thing came from. Do you want to go into Ooh, that? So we dangled that. And so, right. um, and so I really? heard, Sorry. I, yes. I, someone, someone very near and dear to me said that you were a fluffer for Justin Timberlake. Is that true? Yes. Is that malicious yes. rumor? Yes. No, no, no. Actually, he, no. I, I, and if he's he was listening now, um, no, no, definitely not. But <laughs> I, um, the, the funny thing about that is, so I was, a, um, I was in the golf course business. I had a great job and it started in the fall and I was working at one golf course. And anyway, so push comes to shove, my, um, my neighbor, uh, really close to me was a lead, uh, rigger for NSYNC. And at the time, if you, if anybody's listening, it's right around 2000, 2001. And, um, you know, I think Janet Jackson was on tour. U2 was on tour. Dave Matthews was on tour. All these other big tours routes. There's a real shortage for people. He came to me and said, Hey, I need a downrigger for the tour. And it pays really well. And I kind of did the math and I was like, you know, I could really pay off all my debt and do this and just go tour 42 cities, 42 cities in four months. It was really a fascinating, fascinating experience. Again, almost similar to the selling door to door. Sometimes when you see a show like that with, with, I think it was 19 tractor trailers full of stuff, you've got, 
the 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 operations, the logistics, the sales, the marketing, the the presentation, the the bravado. Like it's so cool that I because I'm obviously a, a lifelong student. So here I am. I'm like, man, I'm never gonna do this again. I'm spending four months with these these amazing, amazing people. I'm just absorbing. I'm literally just soaking it up. It was an insane, insane experience. And I, I think about it so fondly. What a, what a great time to, to, um, to really absorb. Nice. And so, and so you, um, you, you, you did your tour, you, um, you hung out with JT, you, you, uh, you, um, paid off your debt. So, and then what did you kind of, um, transition to, um, after that? I, I mean, but I will, I will finish. I will, I will <clears throat> talking a little bit. You, you brought up Justin Timberlake a couple of times. Uh, just an insanely, insanely talented guy. I, I do want to kind of go back and tell a story because there's a lot of people that might be listening that might be speakers or that kind of think they're charismatic or anything like that. But but real quick, because this totally has everything to do with what a lot of us do for a living when we speak. So we were in New Orleans. All of the rehearsals were done at the Superdome. And so here we are. They're, they're doing all the routines. They're working on the choreography and everything. So there were uh, five members of the band, and there was one um, who was really, really, it's just an insanely talented dancer, JC Chazé, right? So JC, during all the rehearsals, it was like he was spot on, on his notes, knew the routine better than anybody. Just insane. I'm like, wow, this guy's super talented, right? I'm just watching, watch, watching. So, and I'm watching Justin Timberlake kind of go through the motions and Lance Bass and Chris Kirkpatrick and Joey, and they kind of just like went through it, went through it, went through it, went through it, went through it. But then all of a sudden, after about four weeks, they brought in about a crowd of about three or 400, like a local radio station got to bring in some people that won something. And all of a sudden the lights went down and the spotlight went on Justin Timberlake. And I was like, where'd this guy come from? Because as soon as there was fans and cheering and everything like that, it was a light, Martin. It was, I, I literally have like chills thinking about it because you see this, like all of a sudden he became this insane entertainer. Like he was just like a nice guy to hang out with, you know, cause it was a pretty small crew. Like we're all there just working together. We're just all people. Right. And all of a sudden when that happened, it was mesmerizing. Like it was just those things that you can't teach. And there is a reason why. Justin Timberlake is Justin Timberlake because that guy has something. And you talk about DNA. You you talk about DNA. Man, JT has got something that other people do not have. And it's just something that you can't teach. And I hope some of your listeners, maybe they feel the same way. Like they're good talkers, good talkers, good talkers. But then they get an audience and they get they get a crowd to speak to. Maybe they feel that a little bit too. Maybe not at the same level. But I'll tell you what, guys, when you if you have that and that's in your DNA, man have fun with it do that yeah for Attack. sure there, there's something something about like getting getting in seeing the audience in front of you i think where um where yeah it can bring out the sort of showman um in you i, mm -hmm. I, I definitely uh, love speaking from oh, stages Martin. for that reason right like um you can't do enough of it and and i think i think actually there's a there's a i mean a lot of a lot of close friends of mine like really talented friends of mine um you know they're like speaking from stages nowadays and it, and it does seem a little bit more like oh yeah um so yeah what we're prepared to offer you in return for speaking on stage is um a discount code that you can offer your followers so that they can buy tickets and you can offer them 10 percent off through your name you're like what like, like there was definitely like a, a kind of um 
you, I saw it in the DJing world actually. Like when I was a DJ, like I, I got out at a good time because I saw like the 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 going rates, I guess, for a DJ like dropping, like um like mm. quite massively. And I've, see, I've sort of seen that in the speaker world. But but um that being said, it's speaking is one of the things. I I mean I truly love it just because you, you get in front of the audience, you can see their reaction live to what it is you're saying, and you can play off that. I think that's the DJ coming out again, like, you know, determining the energy in the room and how you should be and how you should respond and stuff. But yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, you know, me and JT are just very similar like that. Very similar. I think probably I'm a little bit better. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Of course, well, I'm kidding. For anybody that's listening on the audio there. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. you know, you know, yeah, I, I don't it. have all my hair. He has his. So joke's on him. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but, <laughs> no, uh, so, I mean, on a serious note, um, and so, I mean, I can see how th- these experiences so far are like um, shaping, you know, these experiences um, are, are shaping your personality and your, and your, and your learning skills almost by accident. Um, you know, you're absorb- absorbing all of this stuff. At what point did you um, sort of in your more recent time begin to um, really uh, be able to profit or succeed from those, um, those skills that you've collected mm. over time? It's that's a that's a really good question because now we're we're in like the early part of of this century. And so I'm a superintendent at a, a nice club here in town and I start doing, you know, the of course again I got that little side hustle mentality and then members would be like, "Hey, could you uh, you know, throw down a pallet aside?" Right? I throw down a pallet aside and make, you know, make a couple hundred bucks, make a couple hundred bucks. Well, then it turned into this and that and then and all of a sudden I think I, I, as a matter of fact, I was making $63,000 a year. And then all of a sudden I looked up and like in my second year of that, I made $63,000 doing side hustle. And then that turned into, you know, a little more and a little more and a little more. And I started really having fun doing these transactions on the side. And well, then all of a sudden that turned into, you know, $10,000 a week. Well, then I went to the, uh, the club and I was like, Hey guys, look, I, I just can't work here five days a week. You know, I got this. And they said, well, could you work three days a week? And then it went down to two days a week. And then it went to a retainer and they allowed me to like stay on the health insurance. And they like, like, it was really a nice transition. So it was one of those things. Like, if you remember my background, kind of like seeing, you know, I, I have a, a young family at this time. I had my first child at this point and, um, and another one was, was coming. And so you could see how I kind of wanted to have one leg in the stability of the company and another, like it was, it was really fun. And, and that's another thing for a lot of people. Like if you could do that, you know, if you have a great job and you're thinking about doing something else, well, that turned into a really nice seven figure company and it was so cool. And I was actually doing seven figures while I was still consulting there and it was fantastic. And, and it was really fun because I got to be creative and I got to help people and and I would do all these fun, exciting jobs, whether it be light commercial or, or, or uh, residential. It was really a fun, fun, fun experience for me. And I think about very fondly of it. Um, and then um, 2008 happened. So this happened really quick. Like I grew this company up. It was doing awesome. I'm crushing it. We're spending summers in Steamboat, Colorado. I'm like, yeah, like I figured, hey, I cracked the code. I'm a good <laughs> entrepreneur. I'm not like that. I'm not that. I'm a good one. I know what I'm doing. I got this stuff figured out. Like Martin, I was I was the man. Like I was a really good entrepreneur. And then 2008 happened and I realized that I really wasn't that good. Like I think like, I was just so like, I thought I had it so figured out. Like I was like, no, I'm smart. I'm scrappier. I got, 
I've got equipment, I've got teams, I've got systems, I've got marketing strategies in place. I market, I've got these lead sources, everything's going great. But like, it's just the naivety of, of being a, a 28 year old or 29 year old or whatever I was at the time. And just kind of going like, oh shoot, I don't have this figured out. But the good news is, this is what's great about what happened there is that like, I wasn't locked in, I, I, I wasn't stuck. Cause I built my network at a point where one of the investors that had, I had done a lot of work for was like, Mike, you know what? I really like you. I really like you. Why don't you come learn B2B with my company? And he had a great, great, great business, a phenomenal business. And he was doing, a, it was a, a electrical contracting and they were doing a lot of stuff for um, Best Buy and Lowe's and Home Depot and, and all this really cool stuff. And I didn't know anything about B2B, like totally clueless about B2B Martin, like, I, like, like really nothing, nothing in my experience had ever taught me how to do B2B. Hmm. And he really took me under his wing and he had a jet and we'd fly and I'd spend 20 days a month flying all over these places, selling these awesome, awesome deals. And I brought in 7-Eleven and JCPenney's and I, I actually was kind of good at it. Like I really, I, I, I actually could have a pure conversation with people. Um, and, and really it was a wonderful, wonderful experience to learn B2B as a late 20 year old and have that awesome experience. And you know what? What's even better about it is, is that he had offered me a six figure. So like at that point, I thought I was in a really bad spot. And all of a sudden he came in and said, you know what, Mike, here you go. Why don't you come learn this with me? And it was a great investment and one of the, one of the greatest experiences of my life. And that was 12 years ago now. And that's when I started learning B2B. Wow. And so when you when you're so, so you were doing predominantly sales in, in, in B2B or you, you were you were speaking with people with the with the intention of um, helping them see the value of the thing that you're offering. Mm -hmm. um, what sort of what sort of lessons did you learn during that time or what sort of um, tactics do you feel uh, like evergreen tactics did you learn in that time that you feel would mm -hmm. still be relevant today, particularly when selling in a recession? See what I did there? Oh, well, yeah. I 2020 did. Mm -hmm. I know. That's timely because, you know, I, I yeah, it's, it's what I, I say a lot, Martin, is like, it, it, obviously, you, a lot of people have said, you know, it's a sales funnel. Some people say it's a sales hourglass. Some people say it's a sales circle. No matter how you look at it, whatever it is, like, just have it understand that when, when you get down to the actual transaction, 100%, it's always going to be a transfer of trust, whether it's a good, whether it's a recession or a great economy. Everything, everything, the core of it, and this is really what I learned there is, right, you, it has to be intense transfer of trust. Somebody has to literally say, I believe that you, because of your product or service, this is going to be get better because you or your product are a part of this, of, of part of our lives, right? Whether it's new brew, you know, helping me perform it better or, or, or a consultant coming in saying, hey, you're going to help our company be better or, or anyone that's listening, right? The absolute core is always a transfer of trust. And if everybody either, if you reverse engineer back up to the top of your funnel and then you engineer the, um, the referral and then rolling them back through your funnel again, like if you're thinking that way. I know I'm repeating myself 8 million times, but everybody that, that is listening and, and one thing we always need to remember, start at what that transfer of trust looks like. And when it comes to B2B, it's huge because now you're talking about someone that if they make the wrong decision to a, a wrong provider, now they're going to get fired or the, you know, they don't want to look bad to their boss. So now you're saying like, 
well, what earns that? You know, why does that procurement person or facility person or, or someone that has that checkbook, how do I get them to transfer that trust to our company? That's really, that's, that's the evergreen core of it, Martin. And so, um, so let's follow that through. So, so how do you do that? And I know that, that it's probably different in each way, but like, like give, can you give me some examples? Can you give the, the listeners some examples that they can um, leverage for their own business? So when you're think if, if anybody's here and sort of listening to this, if you think about 2008, technology was, was um, probably seems a little bit archaic. Primitive. Yeah. Right? Primitive, yeah. right? So now you're talking about in 2008, how am I going, or 2009, I guess would be this point. It's like, how am I going to transfer trust? And it goes back to a lot of things. I, I, I've got a... Um, there's a great, great uh, funnel builder named Nicholas Dodge. I don't know if anybody knows Nicholas, but like he's a brilliant one. And he talks and, and he really talks a lot about, all right, how are we starting our likable authority? Right. Well, in 2008 and 2009, a lot of your likable authority happened at trade shows, brochures, a little bit on a web presence. Obviously, content marketing hadn't really started. Content marketing it was more physical content marketing. Uh, you know, if we're in if I am looking for a transfer of trust, if someone has something in 2008, 2009, 2010, how am I building likable authority at that point? And that's the brilliant question. So now I've got to get, you know, peer relationships, referrals, demos at trade shows, or if I can get out there, right? And at the time, the company I worked for had an amazing, amazing technology. So if I could get in front of them and do a demo, right? So hopefully, I think that still makes up a majority of transactions in 2020, right? And if you think about where you are, it, what's interesting is, is that what we're talking about today now, a lot of those probably sound like middle of funnel um, concepts of what we're talking about. It's not really top of funnel. Top of funnel is, has actually gone up a little bit higher, right? Because people, I think it's about nine, roughly nine touches right now, I think is where the number is before someone thinks about doing a transaction with you. Whereas the number of touches were definitely a lot less back then. Does that help? Did I answer your question? Yeah, I, th I think I think okay. it um, it kind of did. And so I'm I'm just kind of um, curious. So when you were building trust and um, and you know and, and convincing them, um, you know that, that that your product's the bomb, they're not going to get fired over it. In fact, they might even get promoted over it. Um, what sort of what what did that sales process um, look like back then for you? Like what mm. what were you doing? Hmm, that's it. it that's really good. So obviously systems and process, right? I, I wanted it, that particular product was about how do I let them know that there is a system or process here that helps address their problem. Okay. So to find that out, it goes back to everything that we do uh, in 2020. Well, what is the pain point? What is, what emotions do they feel? What emotions are they most stressed with in their day that gives them the biggest challenge. And do I have a solution that matches that, right? Is if, if they have a pain, whether it be frustration or not knowing or crappy communication or, or unreliable subs or, or whatever it is, right? Well, do I have a solution that we've built on this side that directly addresses that? So that's when we go in and go, you have to be in front of somebody, whether you're doing it on the golf course or over lunch or in a presentation, it all starts with what are your real pains? And hopefully your company on the other side, on the backside, has a product or solution that directly addresses that, that pain. Um, Donald Miller talks a lot about that in StoryBrand or, or um, 
you know, Russell Brunson talks about it in his uh, perfect webinar. You know, it's like, are you, are you understand, are you truly understanding the pain? And are you really understanding that, that you can take them to that bridge to understand, oh, okay, well, this is where you are. This is where you want to be. And here's the products I have to take you there. It's cliche, but that hasn't changed, Martin. It's really, it's, it, it's really a lot the same. Amazing. And I, I, I totally get it. And, um, and I mean, yes, the, the, the world has changed. And so the way that we communicate, I mean, like, you know, we're, we're, we're getting our news right now from our smartphones and from, from the internet back in world war two, the last comparable time, um, you know, it, people were huddled around their radio, but it, it but, but the, the same thing, it's like families huddled around getting information and, um, and so on from, from the powers that be. And so, transitioning um a little bit more towards um uh like the the present and so um you know as i said i i've got a half a page of notes about you and 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 it was very difficult to uh pigeonhole you and i didn't want to pigeonhole you into uh um you know this is mike this is what mike is because you're a lot of things and like you said you're very very experienced you you refer to yourself as a, a chameleon um and you've 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 got a book you're a speaker, you're a consultant, um, you're a master of LinkedIn. What do you think is the next thing that we should touch upon in this interview that is super relevant to, to the audience and could be valuable for the audience? Well, as I, as I went from the electoral world, all of a sudden I became sort of a hired gun. And that's when I got to the executive level and the VP level, right? Once I got into that level, then I, when you're in that service world, whether you're, I got, I got into very large enterprise sales and that's why I was able to get my numbers so high. So I went from, you know, large electrical deals where I was sell, selling three, four, five, six, seven, eight million dollar projects. Then I went into the uh, lighting world where I was selling GE and I was selling all these just awesome, awesome projects, really some of the first LED projects done in the States. It seems like it was LEDs being around forever, but it hasn't. Then I got recruited over to a, 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 a on the furniture side, and I'm selling Herman Miller, and I'm selling Hayworth, and I'm selling these, you know, multi-billion-dollar brands and all these exciting things. And it was all these awesome, awesome experiences. And then, sort of that uh, that calling to go back into the entrepreneurial world happened about uh, done with the candy. I know it's, it is, it's like a, uh, it's almost like a Moana being called to the water or I, I swear it, it's kind of, it, those of you with kids probably understand that uh, reference a little better, but, um, but like, it's one of those things where it's like, it, it really does. It just kind of, you gravitate toward it and all of a sudden I'm working and then all of a sudden someone asked me to talk or someone asked me to teach, someone asked me to help their team with their LinkedIn or help them how to do digital marketing because here I was, I was using social in worlds that didn't predominantly use social. I'm doing this enterprise B2B and people are like, why, why, would, why are you posting on LinkedIn all the time? What, so what that you have 4,000 followers? Like what, what does that matter? And I'm like, just watch, like, cause this works, because this works. So then all of a sudden, you know, one company asked me to come in and consult and another person asked me to consult. When I was doing great and I really loved the um, the last um, the last stint I had in furniture, but I got called in uh, by a bunch of companies to come in and start consulting as an outsourced CMO, which has been so much fun, right? So my job is is really a lot of companies between twenty and three hundred million dollars, 
to come in, especially at times like this, right? To kind of make sure that we're doing things the right way and coaching them up, utilizing the lead opportunities that are there and then being great at them. Does that help? It does. And so what sort of challenges do you find um, 20 to 30 million um, dollar companies have? Like, like, what is it that they say they're coming to you and go, Mike, I need you to help me with this. Like, well, like what, what, what do you see time and time again? Like the cliches, if you like, when you're, when you're helping and consulting these, with these, these kind of um, companies, which by the way, already probably have CMOs. So uh, there's probably some interesting friction there, but I'm not going to get into that one. Let's get into the actionable stuff. The, like, what is it that, that often they're struggling with and, and that time and time mm-hmm. again, you've like helped them, you know, with, that's a, that's a really good question. And you'd be surprised how many of these companies, because a lot of my customers tend to be kind of scrapper entrepreneurial because they kind of get the, they, they get me, they know I kind of come from a position of, Hey, I want to help you grow your business. So a lot of them don't have CMOs on staff. They might have a marketing person. They might have someone else, but I find, and, and a lot of people listening probably experience this. If they ever talk, a, have a B2B experience, oftentimes these companies are very clueless about the things that we know about. So we almost have to become translators. You know, if you're going to a, uh, a you know, a funnel hacking live, or, or if you're going to any of these like major shows, that's like a third language. Like you might as well be speaking Mandarin or Farsi to a lot of B2B people because they're like, ah, retargeting. How do you do that thing where you follow them all around the internet? How do you like, what is a YouTube ad? Why do I do like that is a, so you have to really start very basic. And that's where I've gotten really, really uh, strong with LinkedIn is because people kind of go like, all right, I get LinkedIn, right? There's 675 million users on there. Um, you know, what's, there's a stat It's like 40% of those users are on there every day. Like there's a lot of people on LinkedIn. So if I'm talking to a B2B, and I can say to them, I can say, hey, guys, look, you know, LinkedIn is where you want to be and this is how you do it well. Then that's where we start. That's a lot of the places of where we start. Nice. And, do you, and do you have any products that you've um, released about LinkedIn, Mike? Ah, you're too kind, Martin. Yes, yes, I did. And it's actually, it's probably one of the great reasons we're able to talk because I do have the latest, newest, best-selling book. Only, no, I'm just kidding. It, it, it is. Look, guys, all you have to do is sell 20 books a day and you're a best-selling book in your category. So if anybody wants to know the, the pull back the curtain of Oz, it's not that hard. But you know what? I, I'm very proud of the book. I'm, I've had many, many people have reached out to me after, after reading it. It's only been out for a couple of weeks. So I do have the latest um, cutting edge book. And it's it really, if you want to understand sort of the basics of what's happening on LinkedIn and how to use it and look nice with your profile, it's a great thing, but I choose to get plenty of, of time. We can do a lot of that today. What do people type into Amazon to find your book, Mike? Uh, great at LinkedIn. Great really, at LinkedIn. If you type in great, that's, a, that's the title of the book. Um, I've got a copy here. Ooh. I love it. I really do. Like, And as an author, if you, I'm, I'm totally going to dork out. But like, if you ever, if you've done it before, Martin, but like, you write a book and you're kind of like, Oh, that's pretty cool. This is my blood, sweat, and tears that kind of went into this. And, you know, it, it all starts with like, you know, framing out chapters and then all of a sudden it, it becomes reality and it's super, it's a lot of fun. I really. Oh, it is. Uh, yeah. I'm yeah. Very, I'm, 
and um and then and then it becomes like um a ton of anxiety when i i don't know if you did it but i i literally put myself out there and rather than sort of some people are like yeah you know i cobbled it together in my spare time if you don't like it fuck off whereas i'm like it's my best work I, i've put myself I've said that, so, like, i'm like this is my best work you know so it's like proper like n- vulnerable to to insults and bad feedback and stuff but fortunately i haven't had any so that that's really really good and, yeah. I, and, and i'm sure you feel the same so great at linkedin is what people need to type in and so right now um there i would say so we're, we're in sort of current day here which i like um right now i would say there is a maybe an unfair stigma where people are like oh yeah outbound on linkedin yeah and I, I mean i i Speaking from my own experience, I get a lot of people spam my inbox, um, um, and I, I get, I'm sorry if anybody's like listening that has sent this to me. But if you if you connect me on uh, connect or try send a connection request to me on LinkedIn, and you say something like, uh, by the way, when I send connection requests on LinkedIn, I don't put any message, and I've got a pretty good hit rate. But I get I love mm-hmm. I do enjoy reading the messages that come with the connect, and uh, if you send something to me like. Hey, I've been cultivating my network for many years, and I'm very proud of it. And I can tell you've got it. I love the uh, it's really generic now. Like I love the stuff that you do and the connections that you have. I think we would gel well together. And that's your connection. I'm gonna roll my eyes, and probably not accept. And and and, and I mean, I, I know that's really like judge a book by a cover, but but I would in my head, I'm like, that's how you do LinkedIn wrong. How do you do LinkedIn right, Mike? Mm. Mm. I love that question. I really do. It's and a long it question. probably, I, no, 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 no. And it, it goes back. I always tell my friends, especially even in the world we're in, in the digital world, because I'm in masterminds, and a lot of my masterminds kind of look at it and they're like, Shit, I don't, I don't do LinkedIn. You know, I, I, I know I need to. I'm starting to get some B2B or I'm starting to do this and I probably need to do it. And then I'll do um, a session with them and we'll kind of break it down. Because you, do, it's almost like having a, um, you know, whether it be a web page or a product or whatever it is, right? You want to drive somebody to somewhere nice that complements your funnel. Hmm. So if anybody's listening here can just say, look, link. If you're using LinkedIn as your only sole source of lead generation, you're probably going to fail, right? Right. I, I I can tell you that right now. I actually like to tell people to have three lead generation sources that all complement each other. But if LinkedIn can be one of them, you're going to do a nice job. And the best thing about LinkedIn is everybody that's listening to this right now, you can all, you can do all of this for free. You don't necessarily need LinkedIn Navigator. LinkedIn Navigator is a bonus, but you don't need to do it to have LinkedIn as one of your lead generating uh, verticals. Okay, guys. So, so start out with, and I'm going to kind of like just sort of sequence it as I look at a, um, a, a LinkedIn profile. Oh, Martin Cooks is already up there, right? Yeah. So if I, was, if, I was, if I was, yeah, and you've done a lot of nice things, Martin. I really do, I like it. Like, <laughs> but if you think about it, and everybody that's listening, I'm gonna go just, I'll give like a little 10 minute mini course here. But like, if, if you think about it, just classic, classic marketing guys, it's what happens above the fold. What's really happening above the fold. So when someone comes to your page, the only things they're going to see is your background picture, your profile, your name, and your tagline, right? That's all they're going to see. They're not going to go. So now let's just say you did the outreach program. You, you posted something, you commented on something, then you've created curiosity. Now someone's come to your landing page. Okay. 
I, yes, I think you can do great messaging internally, but we're not going to talk about that. We don't want to draw any bidders to our page until it's something that you're proud of. So when it comes to your background picture, I kind of like yours, Martin. You know, it's, it's very subtle. It's very professional. If anybody goes to Martin's page, I think it looks really nice. He has Martin Cook, entrepreneur, speaker, investor, influencer. Really nice. It's nice. It doesn't help build curiosity, right? So what do I, you know, so, but we're going to get that in the tagline. Your actual picture is nice. Um, when it comes to the psychology of the picture, we kind of want it to be like almost how you and I see each other right now, sort of from the breastplate up. So because we're actually going to get a human connection at that point. So again, anybody listening, get your background looking nice. Let it be something that you're proud of. Maybe it's if you're a speaker, let it be a picture of you speaking on stage. If you're an author and you've got a book signing, do it as a book signing. If you're a web builder, do you know show a web page that you're super proud. Whatever you are, have a great background picture that helps people understand, oh, that's what they do. Oh, that's kind of cool. We might need them, right? Oh, they commented on this. Oh, okay, cool. Now the picture. See, Martin, I would actually like to see your picture be a little more smiley because like you're a much more engaging person and your picture kind of is a little stoic. Like if I, if, if you and I are doing this, Martin, I want to see like, I want to see you. You're a very kind person. I want to see kindness in your picture. Hmm. You understand that? So this is our chance. We're making our first impression. You made a comment on something. You, you've driven them to your landing page, background, let it be something about your company. Let it be just sort of a little bit about your your personality, a little bit what value you bring to the world. Now we're talking about our face. Yes. People judge a book by its cover. If you don't believe that, wake up because they do. They're going to see this. And when I see you, Martin, I look there and I go like, hey, he looks a little cocky. Looks yeah. like He looks like somebody that's going to rent a Bugatti and drive to a conference, right? <laughs> that's what you look like. Have you ever done that? Have you ever rented a Bugatti uh... before? I, I want to rent a Bugatti. I, I would tell everybody, I'd be like, I'd be way too embarrassed. I'd be like, it's definitely a rental. I'd be like, no, I haven't bought that. No, 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 no. I haven't bought that. I just want to feel <laughs> driving it once. So, um, right. no, no, I haven't, I haven't done that. It's a great idea, but that doesn't defend <laughs> me so well. It's like, yeah, I should do that. I'm going to do that. I should do that. Exactly. Do that. Maybe I should get a picture of you. Park you can front. do that. That's your new background picture. Your new background picture is you getting out of the Bugatti and then you could just put like, yeah, exactly. Entrepreneur or douchebag extraordinaire. You can I think, do that, I think I'm right? going to do, um, I'm going to do that. But what, actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to Photoshop my head onto someone in a rented <laughs> Bugatti oh. badly, like really badly. Like the head's like disproportionately high, like large compared to the body, something like that. Like really obviously fake. <laughs> I'll get more leads. That's, That's what you're saying, right? I need to have that done. I need to, I'll ask my guys and see if they can't Photoshop that over. <laughs> All right. So then, so now look guys, like, like, as we start, take your time on your background picture, make sure it is optimized for LinkedIn. If you're looking at it, your profile picture sits to the left, your background picture sits to the right. It needs to be designed specifically optimized for LinkedIn. It shifts everything to the right right? So it's off center. So if you're building your background picture and it's centered, you're doing it wrong. Shift it a hair to the right. And that's how you know you're doing your layout. Everybody here has access to something. Guys, you can do it on PowerPoint. You don't need a Photoshop or Illustrator to do it. You just need to grab a couple pictures, grab a PNG, do whatever you need, lay it over something and get your background picture looking nice. Again, it's a feel thing. Nice picture. Now the tagline, now we're still above the fold. The tagline is where we can really do things. Now, there's a lot of like, um, we do A for B through C. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So everybody that's listening, right? Um, that's sort of a, a classic thing, right? Um, like for we, um, we, we sell candy in neighborhoods through our charming personalities, right? You could literally say it, you know, we provide, um, amazing widgets for, um, this industry through our ABC solutions, right? So I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm actually doing, I, I do this when I'm speaking on stage, I really take about 15 to 20 minutes on this workshop piece of it. But if everybody can listen, it's like, I sell what to who through what solution. That's really the core of what your tagline should say, guys, right? So, and it can change all the time. Please don't feel like you have to do it the exact same all the time. And mine, mine is following that loosely right now. Um, like I actually, I'm pulling up mine right now. Actually, I didn't remember what it said, so I just had to pull it up. And I said, <laughs> we help SMB implement distant lead generation strategies quickly, hmm. right? Because of what's happening in the world. So as you're doing this, if I'm looking at that and then I put, you know, uh, author, great at LinkedIn, right? But like, if you're thinking about LinkedIn guys, think about what I just said. We help SMB implement distance lead generation strategies quickly. If I'm a B2B person and I read that, I go, huh, that's what I need. Like there's, there's something happening in the world right now. I don't know how long this is going to impact us, but if I, you want to teach me some distance lead generation strategies quickly, yeah, we need to talk. Nice. And I've had two people call me because of that tagline. So please know that, um, that that's what we're doing here when it comes to taglines. It's again, we're above the fold. Guys, please, if you're listening to this, know you've done all this work. You've made a nice post. Maybe you've done some outreach. You've earned the right that someone is now coming to your page going like, huh, what's this person all about? What are they going to say, right? So when I go to your Mar yours, Martin, it's, it's nice, but it's not really, it's, I don't want to go below the fold on yours right now, right? Aww. Do I need an entrepreneur, a speaker, an investor, an influencer? Maybe, but like, I, I got it. Right, you haven't really built. You haven't earned the right for me to go below the fold yet. Hmm. I'm going to. Okay. Any questions? Any <laughs> questions so no. far? No. I I I, th I think I was sort of listening to that. I was like, wow. If I wanted to narrow down, um, like what what my tagline was. I mean, so I mean, Smart Destiny is an interesting one. It's an easy one as well because like Smart Destiny is all about helping um, people make more money online. So typically, we we sit in at the six figure plus uh, range with with digital business owners, particularly e commerce, and help them um, sell more, generate more, but at the same time educate them that um, actually you should probably use some of that money that newfound money that you're making to make the world a better place and we talk about net positive and we talk about enlightened entrepreneurs my mission statement for anyone looking is right there on the wall um so <laughs> i realized i looked at that like really quickly in terms of the linkedin good. it's really interesting because um it's like do you know what like the my main efforts right now is new brew okay and so new brew um isn't uh, I'm not sure, but like, uh, most of the the sort of co-founder CEO types of of, uh, of brands are just like, hey, I'm co-founder, founder, CEO of Blah Brand, which does this, which is nice. But I'm not actually using my personal LinkedIn so much to to help sell more new brew. And so it's an interesting one because you you referred earlier on to to yourself. I think this was off air, but you referred to yourself as a as a chameleon um, of business. Like you've got lots and lots of different experiences, lots of different skill sets and stuff. And so I, I, as you were saying that, I was like, hmm, 
what would I say as my um, as my above the fold uh, sort of hook? Come on in and scroll down, um, Liner. I think that might be something that I need to reflect on a little bit because, um, like you know, I, 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 my my hook and 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 certainly in conversations is I, <laughs> how can I help you? I did, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your problems. I'd like if I can help you. I'm obnoxious in so much as if I hear someone saying something, complaining about a problem, and I hear it, and I'm even a stranger to them, I'll jump in. I'll be that obnoxious guy that offers help, like unsolicited help. And, uh, you know, I mean, and, and yeah, that might be rude, but I'm like, shit, if I have something in my brain that could help you, but I don't share it, I'm an asshole. If I share it yeah. and you don't want me to share it, okay, fine, no, no worries. I'll say, sorry, you know, best of luck, have, have a good day, kind of thing. And so, yeah, I, I guess that was what I was thinking when you were saying that. Whilst also being feeling super vulnerable about having my LinkedIn skirt lifted up. No, no, no. But but here's the thing, Martin. Like if I'm Martin, like I'm starting, I'm sort of spitballing. I'm going to grab a, a white, I'm going to grab my whiteboard and I'm going to go and you just start out really raw. And you could even say like, um, I love strategizing with kind six and seven figure companies. Right, you just start with something as as basic as that. Mm. I just I love strategizing with kind people with six and seven figure companies. I have a feeling you don't like dealing with crass, obnoxious jerks, right? But you know, if you start there and you say, "All right, well, I'm going to massage that," right? I really like I like working with people that are, you know, this is kind of I need to establish it. I don't really work with startups. I need to say, look, your company probably needs to be doing at least six or seven figures to start engaging me in a communication. And you say, look, I love working with six and se- six six figure plus, you know, entrepreneurs, kind entrepreneurs that pride themselves on giving to their customers and making the world a better place. I'm glad we recorded that because that might be good, right? Yeah, I might rewind so- that and listen to that a few times. And, but that's, but that's where it starts guys. Like hmm. here's your chance. you right. We talk a lot about an avatar, right? So if you, if you really think about it, you know, it's like, who are you really serving? Who, who do you love serving? Who are, who is it a Saturday morning at five o'clock in the morning and your phone rings? Who is it that you go, um, you know, you hop out of bed and find a quiet place and you talk to them because you, you love bringing value to that customer, Right. And, and you don't even think twice about it. You're like, oh man, if you're going to call me this early, what's going on? How do I help you? What's, what's happening? What do we need to attack? And if all of your marketing, including your tagline, including the header of your webpage, including anything that you do, if your marketing and messaging is targeted at them, oh my gosh, what, how much happier are we as entrepreneurs? Because now I have entrepreneurs going, this is exactly what's happening in this economic challenge and time that we're in. They're calling me up going, Man, brother, we got we're going to war together. Let's go. Like, how do we hey man, you know, what do we do? How do we strategize? How do we pivot? How do we how do we change? Because I have targeted my marketing to the people that I love just killing it for. And if everyone listening here, this is where it starts. Again, your tagline is the message that resonates with that customer that you love. Start there. And if you need to print their picture out, go to their LinkedIn, grab their picture, a picture of you guys at, a, at something together. And if that's what your inspiration is, you start your target messaging at them. You're going to hit a little to the left, a little to the right, a little bit above, a little bit below. But you're going to attract more people like that. I'm sure everybody in this one that's listening right now has heard this before, but freaking remember it and this, and then apply it in this particular platform.
Sorry, did I get preachy? Was that too preachy? No, no, no. That was that was. <laughs> I, I was like, boom, soundbite. So our, our editor will take like a key point uh, um, in this podcast and use it, and and it like at the yeah. beginning of the podcast, it does it in a sort of weird, distorted, robotic voice, which makes people think, oh my god, the sound quality of this podcast is terrible. And then it goes into yeah. like boom, the intro. And so I'm thinking that he might well choose from that, but um. God, time has flown. At this point, right, actually, normally early on in, the, in this point, um, Mike, we what we do is we transition, we mix it up. So we've, we've, we've gone through things. Um, we've gone through your story. Actually, just before we do go into this next point, where can people find more about what you do? Um, and, and keep this succinct in your answer. Yep. 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 Anybody that wants to connect with me on, on LinkedIn, that's a great start. Shoot me a message on LinkedIn uh clone my linkedin page see what i've done we update it multiple times a week so if there's anything that you see that i'm doing i'm doing it for a reason i don't do it uh for it just shits and giggles it's absolutely done if you see like a flame in my name if you see starburst if you see things like that integrate some of that into what you do um, if you see how I'm using the featured feature, features a new thing on LinkedIn as of 2020, it used to all be inside your about section. Um, I want everybody that's listening to start using their featured, see what I do. I've got things in there for you to check out. Um, I've got video testimonials, screenshot testimonials, um, sort of like take a second and it's there. If you, even if you never reach out to me, go to my page and just scroll through it. There's your worksheet and, and go from there. Okay, guys. Mike Swigert, S-W-E-I-G-A-R-T. Please do it. S-W-E-I-G-A-R-T. I'm looking at it now. You've, you've got a very nice, um, like your your profile picture with the, with the sort of slant. Sort of, I imagine that to be like, hee hee, I'm Mike. Yeah, kind of like, like you're friendly, like have, friendly, yeah. like Thank approachable, you. like, like, you know. I want, that's it. I want to engage. Martin. Martin, I'm like a grayscale fuck off you're, type face. Yeah, you're online. so yeah. you're so much kinder. You're so much kinder than your picture. I mean, yeah. really, like, because that's the thing is, like, that's our first impression. Mm. I went to you, and I'm looking at going like, damn, Man, really? Like, I mean, I mean, you just did everything you can to make your picture as as just as. It's my filter. Mm, it, it's my filter. If you get past I, yeah, that book judging point, and then you, you might be happily yeah. surprised by how laid back I am. Yeah, I think you I think are. I need to you're you're wonderful, Martin. You're one of the good guys. So ah, bless you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you having me on. I really do. Well, right, Mike, I hope you're going to appreciate this because we're about to muddle after a whole season of ask, asking a particular set of um, rapid fire questions. We're in season two, it, and for season two, I thought, right, we're going to mix it up. We're going to we're going to do some more questions, but I don't yet fully know which the quest best questions are going to be. So I've got fifteen um, amazing. I think they're all amazing questions to ask you. Um, some of them might bomb, and so I'll filter those out. So in, in, in many ways, you're my guinea pig to a certain extent. But I'm really excited about these questions. So, if you are excited, um, give me a double thumbs up to jump into season two's questions. There, there is. There is. Okay, you so you get a dance. Yeah, yeah, everybody, everybody's go, like, go, man, go, go, go. He's I started dancing. selling in 83. Those of you just dancing. listening. Yeah, those of you just listening, you need to get on the video because uh, he is he's dancing. He is he is JTing <laughs> right now. And so, <laughs> he's got an audience. Right, okay. So, um, I asked the questions quick. You can take as long as you want to to um, to answer them. But um, let's, let's jump in. Question number one. What superhero would you be and why? Hmm. Yeah, I, my, I, I'll I'll start with probably what my gut just told me. I'm a, I'm a dorky Iron Man fan. I just yeah. think that Tony Stark is like, I mean, he's just sort of like that combo of like cool, 
I mean, I probably a bunch of stuff that I'm not because I'm just a, you know, somewhat dorky dad, but like, I think Tony Stark is just a cool combo of just insane smarts and having Jarvis and nanotechnology. I don't know if you got into those, those last ones, man, that if you, if you get into it and you actually see what he did and how he used nanotechnology to help get Thor, I mean, uh, Thanos, and then uh, kind of gave himself up there. I thought that was pretty badass. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Iron Man. Cool. I, I don't know if it's Tony Stark or Iron Man. Is it? I'm going to go with Tony Stark. And then who gets to wear the Iron Man uh, 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 armor. Agreed. Question two. What's one thing that people often incorrectly assume about you? <laughs> I don't know. I think people assume I'm in better shape than I am. I think <laughs> I get that because <laughs> I um, every winter I teach a spin class, and um, and I always feel like I'm showing up a little bit as a poser because um, I've done two Ironman. I'm training for my third right now, but I think people generally think that like I'm some super elite athlete, and I'm just a guy that just like gets out of bed and grinds and and just like anybody else. I do my best on my runs and and ride occasionally, but like. I think people think that like I'm some like elite athlete and I'm really not. Can you do me a favor and, and, and when you start your winter spin classes, can you walk into your first class with a McDonald's milkshake <laughs> <laughs> instead of a sports bus? <laughs> Just walk in by like, right class, let's do this. <laughs> and like, <then> maybe, exactly. <laughs> or maybe like a I Big Mac squeezed it. into your tight cycling shorts, something like that. Just it whip it out halfway through. I, I, Martin, I, I'll tell you what, nothing inspires you to stay in shape and eat a little healthier than knowing that you have to be in front of 63 people. Cause like there, <laughs> if you know about the, I teach, I teach for lifetime fitness and it's a huge, huge gym here in, in, uh, in the States. And so I, I talk about scarcity, right? I mean, I am market, I'm a marketer, right? So I only teach 10 classes. I do it in the winter. And so, and I like my classes to be full and everything like that. And I get up there and then at about two months before I have to teach, I start going, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I might want to think Shit. about losing that. I oh. know exactly. I'm like, all right. I think about that every day. I need some scarcity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well. Question three. So that's it. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah. I think people think I'm a better athlete than I am, but I'm really. I, I'm, I I work hard. I get out of bed every morning, and I do my best to get my workouts in. I really do. Nice. What is the most pointless subject taught at schools, and what would you replace it with? Yeah, I I, I I could pick any of them, um, even though I was good at them. Um, I would say algebra, calculus, trigonometry, but not geometry. Um, I think that there, especially at the time I was, I'm literally taking these going like, this is a colossal waste of my time. <laughs> like, this is absolutely a waste of my time. I enjoyed... I, I actually loved in, so many things. I had great professors for, for uh, history and, and learning all history. I love, I think, I think it's super important, even though kids can pull it up on Google, but the understanding of, of the culture, but like mm. freaking math, like really, like I, what would you 99%. replace it <laughs> What would you replace math what, with? What would, you re what would you replace the pointless subject that you've chosen with? Um, you know, it's funny is it's definitely in line with it. I, um, I think logic is, is really, you can say critical thinking. I think that where we need to get to, I don't want to get too preachy. Obviously I, I have three wonderful children who I adore. I feel like critical thinking and logic are very underrated. I feel like if we could kind of shift away from 
you know, some of this useless information that they're learning. And, and I'm sorry, math teachers that are listening, and I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm sure there's some, and there's always two sides to everything. But in general, if we shifted math into more logic and critical thinking, I think we would help our kids out a lot more. I really do. The fact that, that you and I have a, not only a calculator, but a calculator that we can turn sideways and go to the trillion. Um, there's, there's not much that we, um, that we really need to learn in, math, in school when it comes to math. I agree with that. What's one amazing act of kindness you've either witnessed or done yourself? Yeah, if I say it, it's done myself, that's always, um, it, it sounds too um, self-serving. Um, but, you know, I'm never, ever, ever um, not impressed when I see, I live in Atlanta, and we, there's a lot of driving and things like that. And if you've ever seen an accident happen, you know, in front of you um, and you see cars pull over immediately and run to the accident, I am just, I'm so impressed by that. Like that just hits me in the stomach really hard. If you're driving down the road and I have, I've, I've seen it where cars have, you know, it happened to me one time just a few years ago, some car, I'm literally in the far right lane, a car comes up and I don't know if the person was having a seizure or a heart attack or something. They'd obviously just lost control and they're driving down the right shoulder and then they spin out and they, they literally go into a car, two cars in front of me and, and there's major accident. The car must've been going at least 50, 60, 70 miles an hour, or I guess that's a, a, roughly a hundred kilometers as they went past me and people just got out of their cars and just started helping. Like if they run to the accident. And, and I, and again, we go back to our DNA conversation we had earlier that has to be in people's DNA to, to mm. see that happen. Like people that run to accidents, I'm so glad they're in the world. You know, I'm so glad, you know, we need people like that in the world and that's, that's really special. So, it's, and it's, that happens. It's, it's, it's on, a, on a similar note, actually, to what you're saying there. I remember, um, I mean, a few things stuck with me from high school. Um, but, but one that did was my, my science teacher, um, uh, Mr. Sayer. Uh, he actually said that how um, he gets very, very frustrated with movies where you, you, a car crashes and then immediately bursts into flame, like explodes. He said, like, so many people um, like every year die because people don't help them. Um, because they think the car's going to explode, and that actually rarely happens. And um, and and so it's in a similar vein there. And I thought, actually, do you know what? To encourage more people to run towards accidents rather than away from them, I think it's worth pointing that out. But do your research, folks. I'm not I'm not an explosion expert, but I'm pretty sure unless the uh, the fuel tank has been compromised, the car's not going to explode. So um, there might be some time there to actually help a brother out. Um, what unusual or underrated food or drink should people should more people try out? I need to rephrase that question. <clears throat> you get the gist. Yeah, that's I, you know what? Um, this might seem strange because I always my um my we've traveled a lot and um my uh, my daughter one time thought it was really weird when they were in Thailand or maybe they were in Laos. She was young and a bug cart came by. Right. And, and it was like, oh my gosh, this is so disgusting. How could people possibly eat bugs? You know, and this is, but in that particular culture, it's fine. And then I thought about it and I thought, well, what do we eat here in the States? That's really weird. And in the South, especially because um, not far from here, you can get crawfish. I don't know what they, what do they call crawfish in the UK? What would it be? Like it's, it looks like a miniature lobster, maybe. Langusti langoustine? 
Maybe it kind of like a uh, uh, Lagostino or something like that. Is that there's I think another Lang- name? But- Lang- I think it's Langostine. It kind of looks like a, a small, um, or, or we call them. Oh, I mean, crayfish is crayfish similar? Yeah, that crayfish. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So crayfish. Be a crayfish. Yeah, yeah, a, a, a crayfish, and that that's what you find out, especially in like Louisiana. And you would just do a crawfish boil, and you've got the crawfish and the corn and the potatoes, but they're just bugs. I mean, they're li- they're literally just these long, basically like. They're practically like, it looks like eating scorpions, right? Yeah. So I think that if you're somewhere in the world and you haven't had a crawfish boil and you're ever in uh, New Orleans and you get a chance to go, or Nolans, as they say down there, if you ever get a chance to do a crawfish boil, they're very common to me because I've, I've sought it out and actually part of my honeymoon was spent there in New Orleans. But, but I'll tell you what, crawfish, very underrated, really cool, unique food to try to eat. That's what I'm going to go with, crawfish. Nice. What's one mistake you made in your life and what did you learn from it? You know, that's the older I get, like, I, I feel like if you had asked me that question 20, 20 years ago, I could probably just spit them off. But like, again, I'm probably, I don't want to give you a unsexy um, response, but I really do love my mistakes. I love, I love so many mistakes that I've made, you know, whether it be like not having a parachute in, in my first experience as an entrepreneur or, um, or even mistakes I make right now. Like I feel like even in this economy, I'm kind of second guessing whether I didn't, whether niching down so much in my industry um, has helped me not be ready for an impending 2020 recession. Right. So, um, but I like, you know, I, as far as like saying like a very specific um, mistake, man, I'll I'll tell you what, Martin, I love my mistakes. I really do. I, I love them. And, and regularly, the, the deeper I mess up, the more deeper the learning is. I mean, really, I know they say like you either you either win or you learn. I'm like, no, you win or fail. Hey, people fail. People make horrible decisions. People make a lot of horrible decisions, but embrace them and learn from them. Like, really, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, again, it may not be the best answer, but I'll tell you what, man, I love my mistakes. I make a lot of them. I make so a, can you I give me an really example bad. of one mistake you made? Oh, like, you know, hiring, like hiring somebody to help do my um, outreach marketing, right? I feel like, you know, those, those are silly mistakes. Or like buying into a software and thinking that this software is going to be like, uh, those aren't really that bad of mistakes. Like those are kind of like, those are like $500 mistakes, right? <laughs> um, or, you know, um, I've, I've taken on clients that I wish I hadn't taken on. Um, or, um, I've let clients, you know, stay on too long where I wasn't necessarily bringing a value. I probably should have cut them off, you know, cut them off sooner or vice versa. Um, you know, there's decisions that you can make better when your company's a little more mature than when you're scrapping. Um, so the, the, the severity of the mistake gets, gets, um, better or worse. Sorry, I'm not coming up with anything like that's okay. I, 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 I'm like a, I'm like a, a good that's right. Yeah, I think I think you know I think a lot of people could answer that question the same way if they're a, a serial entrepreneur because if you're not making mistakes on a weekly basis, you're probably not you're not experimenting and trying enough. Oh yeah. I know I'm making a mistake right now. I'm running these two softwares right now that I shouldn't be running. I'm running uh, ClickFunnels and Go High Level at the same time, and I'm, I'm like, I want to do one or the other, but like I, I know I'm just wasting money every month on it, and I just can't. It's I, I can't figure out which one's the better decision but I know I'm wrong with, with one of them. 
Check out Convertree. Convertree is a great funnel builder, um, which is uh, you made like by a buddy of mine, actually, yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay, what does the first 30 to 60 minutes of your day look like, and what time do you typically start? Like, like mm. wake up, start. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've actually challenged myself the last couple of years to work a little more in a routine. Um, I've, I generally, four or five days a week, my mornings are start out with a workout, or, or I like to think it starts with a workout, um, in this particular time, I'm actually waking up a little bit early and just making sure that I have all my things responded to because I'm an early, I go to bed pretty early at night. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners are, are a lot of night, uh, night people, but both. I tend to, yeah, I tend, I tend to go to bed early at night. So I wake up in the morning and, oh, I, I actually numbers. like to be in the bed. I like to be in bed before 10 PM. I really that's, do. That's not that I mean, early. I, that's fine. Oh, okay, that's, good. That's respectable. Well, I mean. I appreciate it. And, and I, and in the winter, if it's dark out, I got no problem getting in the bed at nine. Like I, nice. I like, but I also attack my day. Like I don't play video games. I don't watch TV. Like I'm kind of like a, um, I don't have a lot of empty time in my day. Hmm. So I would say that, um, wake up in the morning, come down. I like to sort of, I like to have the, the home to my quiet to myself. I have a little area. I have a really nice separate part of the house that I have my office in. I mean, it's a studio too. So I, I tend to come in, I get a diet Coke. And, and yes, I, I probably should start with some sort of green juice pure, but no, it is a Diet Coke, guys. I started with a Diet Coke. I, um, I get all of my stuff together. Um, I make sure that the day that I plan the night before isn't too impacted by the things that happened the night before because my day is all definitely planned out way, way, way in advance. So I just make sure I have my, uh, my mindset set for the day. Um, and then I'll go out for a run. I've got a, a, a good buddy that actually lives, uh, very close by and he and I can actually run. We'll go get our runs together, whether it's, you know, 45 minutes or an hour and a half somewhere in there. And, um, and we'll go for a run. Nice. Where do you go or what do you do to get inspired? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a huge podcast fan I, and it's going to be cliche. And I actually have found that like I can go to certain podcasts to find my inspiration. If I need like, you know, machismo and I want that rah, 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 I'll go to Grant Cardone or Gary Vanderchuk and kind of get that like, and I know that there, that's sort of that, that door knocking bravado I had when I was 12 or 13 or 14, just that, that can't say no passion Yankee sort of, uh, you know, this, this is what we're going to do. If I want, if I want strategy or if I want, um, uh, if, if I'm looking for different types of motivation or just creative marketing thinking, I'll go lean on a, a Frank Kern or, or uh, a Russell Brunson. I'll lean on, on those type of guys. And then there's, uh, I mean, I've got, you know, probably about 15 different mentors in my podcast group that I can go to duct tape marketing. The there's all, there's all these I can go to because my job for my customers is creatively come to them with value. So I can take, you know, a little bit from uh, Gary Vee and, and a little bit from Grant and a little bit from Frank and you grab all these amazing, brilliant, brilliant people. And then you make it your own voice. Mm. Right. I mean, because they're doing the same thing. They're getting Jim Rohn and Tony Robbins and, and, and all these amazing, they're, they're going back generations and they're getting ideas from them. So it's not like I'm doing anything new. I mean, the whole concept is find your inspiration, especially yeah especially with what we're going through right now. Find your inspiration and, and embrace it. Nice. Who do you idolize above anyone else and why? 
You know, I was really um, blessed uh, when I was back in the 80s because my dad was a, a serial entrepreneur. He kind of turned me on to a guy named Jim Rohn. And if anybody that's listening doesn't know who Jim Rohn is, he's sort of just one of the godfathers, really one of the 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 great original speakers, him and Zig Ziglar and kind of going back to Stephen Covey, a lot of these older guys that that really have inspired. And when you hear them, you'll go, wow, these guys are saying this back in the 70s and 80s. You can find a lot of their stuff on YouTube. It's really inspiring. But Jim Rohn is one of these guys, and I almost said Zig Ziglar too, because these are both just like insanely talented, caring, loving people that you could tell when every word that they spoke, it came from their heart and they genuinely wanted to make the people listening. They wanted to make their lives better. I mean, Jim Rohn, I, Joan, Jim Rohn, I, I quote him more than just about anybody. And one of my favorite quotes of his was the things that are easy to do are also easy not to do. Hmm. Right. So if you wake up when, when I do, when I do my morning routine and I'm thinking about things, it's like, what can we do that's easy today that I'm just going to do? Right. Because the th they're also easy not to do, right? Those, you know, targeting five new people, whatever it is. Jim would really inspire me to do things like that. Just a wonderful, kind man that has great inspiration in everything that he does. Love that. What book do you read or gift the most? Mm. So another book that I read probably in middle school, I was, I was definitely during the time when I was selling candy door to door. Um, one of these guys that was a friend of my dad's, gave me Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it's, again, I, I, I hope that a lot of people listening to this go, you know what I need? Now, I'll tell you what, when I was 12 or 13, I would just go to the section that was like the nutshell, mm. right? But there's that, in that particular book, Dale Carnegie says, and this is something for everybody that's listening right now, right? He really talked about, you know, it's better to be interested than interesting, mm. right? I mean, you, you think about that. And you think about when you go into a transfer of trust and you go into that, have you shown real interest in your audience? And I'll tell you what, how to win friends and influence people. It's only what, 90 pages, 120 pages. It's not like it's a, a dissertation, but going through that book and really, um, they know it's on my bedside table. It's torn apart. It's got millions of notes in it. I know exactly where to go. That's another piece that really inspires me. And it kind of just helps me, um, refined my true north I like that i remember reading that actually um i was in the shallow end of a pool in barbados and um me and my me and my wife uh, this will be a short story me and my wife um girlfriend back then we'd um we'd got this we'd, we'd booked this holiday um we had a shit ton of air miles so we we just we, we'd booked it and we were super excited about flying like first class um to barbados and it was like maybe our second first class flight i think it was her first 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 class flight and so I was really excited to give her the experience and stuff and again this is just done on air miles this isn't us like lavishly spending it was it's you know it was a few hundred bucks plus a couple of hundred thousand air miles or something and um and, and and it was a bad time for business like if we hadn't have already booked and paid for this holiday we wouldn't have gone on it right and um I remember saying like look you know so we were like do we cancel the holiday or do we go and just live like um you know live you know like really really sort of carefully whilst we're out there like not 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 spend a tremendous amount of money and so we we chose the latter we went we went there because it was all paid for and stuff i took a bunch of books and i remember um uh, um uh the the how to how to win friends and influence people that that was the book you said wasn't it 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, and I remember reading that in the shallow end of the pool at, um, like we, we got this like apartment, um, over there and I was just, I was sort of laid there and I was sort of basking in the sun with just a little bit of water, like shallow water over me. And I was just reading this and it was getting, it was getting wet and stuff and like people, people were nearby and things, but I was just, I spent a lot of time like reading there. I think I probably read half the book in probably a long afternoon, just sort of there. And so those, those memories are very much sort of like combined, um, if, for that book but but yeah right. it's, it's tremendous it's, it's one of the classics right it's one of the classics that everybody has to, so to read in our industry it um, is so good and i will tell you, can i can i can i cheat and give you one more that i'm really enjoying that i just definitely. i just finished there's there one i just finished about a month ago and and like i said i'm training for my third iron man so someone recommended "Can't Hurt Me" by David Goggins. Have you heard oh, about this book? I've, I've I've listened to that book. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the Audible is okay. awesome because they 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 go from book to like an interview about that section of the book and then back to book. It's really kind okay. of a new concept. It's great. Yeah, it, it it is absolutely. If I ever did, if I did my book in Audible, I'm totally like you and I could talk about it. Like mm. I, I want to almost have like that podcast type, you know, feel to it where you can kind of interject a little, um, like that. Um, yeah, David Goggins, obviously, you know, if you ever want to feel like your problems are not so bad, you know, yeah. go, yeah. go through he can't through hurt me stuff. by David Goggins. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. And, and what's so funny is I've been getting on my runs and I'll be at like mile four, mile five and be like, Oh, I'm so tired or whatever. And then I'm like, you're not tired. Like you haven't even tapped into crap, you know? So like, it's a, um, it's very timely for what even even life, you know, that, that metaphor of life and training are so, so in line with each other. I love that. What silly thing should people do more of? What's the question again? What silly thing should what people do silly? more of? <laughs> well, um, I, I, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of, of humor and I play golf with my buddies and I'll actually go and, and, find jokes that, um, they would, they would find funny, um, that I can't say on your podcast. But, um, so like the idea there's, there's two things that I think are really silly that are great disassociation things that people can do. And, um, someone gave me a tip just last week. They said, you know what, if you're sick of all this on the news and you're tired of it and you just need to like, just totally unplug, they said, go watch a, um, Go pull up Jack, any of the Jackass, Johnny Knoxville movies, right? And they're horrible. Like they're absolutely horrible. Like what they do and the things that the 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 sheer damage they do to their bodies, I'm just like you're idiots. But I'll tell you what, after 20 or 30 minutes, I was belly laughing, and I just, I just thought it was so like so. The silly thing would be embrace and integrate humor into your day as much as possible. So there you go. Watch a little Love Jackass, that. read a book, learn a joke, do something like that. Like just just allow humor, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, will tell you, you know, gratitude, 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 but you know what, allow, allow yourself to laugh. And that's, that's some good stuff. Learn a joke. How about that? Learn a joke. I love that. I, I fully agree. Fully, fully agree. Um, if you could change one world problem with one wish, what would it be? Mm. That is a, that is a one. No one's ever asked me that question. I really, I really <laughs> like that question, Martin. Because if it's just one, if it's only one thing, I mean, there, it's so easy to say, right? You know, you would like, you'd want to uh, end oppression and allow healthy water and, and increase the, the world nutrition and, 
but then what's the byproduct of that? You know, then are we going to, are we going to overpopulate the earth? And then like, you know, like that's the stuff, you know, like you go, the stuff that goes through your mind when you're like, you know, what do we do? You know, should we have, you know, un, unending uh, natural resources or would we, would we protect? What's the one thing that, that I would change in the world? Um, Wow. Can we come back to it? Can I, can I come back to that? It's a wonderful question. Like it really is such, such a good a job of like question. making everybody aware that you're aware of all the different problems and how you'd like to share. You'd like to solve all of them if you could, but uh, I'm only allowed well, one, really, damn it. Well, I mean, gosh, Martin, it's like, I mean, it's, it's like you get that, you get that one wish that you want to change. Like, yes. Do I want to like help all the people that have been wrongfully jailed in, in all these horrible places or would like, would I like to end uh, prejudice? Would I like to love, like, like ignorance. Can I end ignorance? You know, there's so many places in this world that we have stupid laws against people just because of their, their sexual orientation or just dumb stuff that that's out there that I'm like, yeah, okay. But once I end ignorance, but now I want healthy water for, for people that, that, that die from drinking, you know, bad water or like, like, how do I, like you asked me such a question and that's such a big part. It's like Thanos is a uh, click. Like, I'm a fan of that I question. I'm going to see how many other guests get uncomfortable with that question. But um, you can, you know, I, I think you've mentioned a lot of things there. And I think actually the answer is, oh, don't make me choose, which is an answer. So I'm, 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 I'm down with that. I'm good with that. Would you, right, we're going into the would you rather section. Would you rather, okay. Mike, would you rather always be 10 minutes late or always be 20 minutes early? I would 100% 20 minutes early. But 100, you know what? Hundred percent, twenty minutes early. You know what? We have iPhones. Everybody's got a freaking smartphone. Be twenty minutes early. Be early. It's okay. Respect the time of the people you're talking to. Nice. Would you repeat. rather? Would you rather move to a new city or town every week, or never be able to leave the city or town you were born in? Oh, but Martin, my mom lives a mile. My mom and dad live, you know, a mile and a half away. My brothers five doors down, but I love to travel. It's, you learn so much by going around the world. Could I come back after like, do I never get to come back to Atlanta or what do I? I, do, I think, I think, I think the interpretation of the question is like, you kind of, you, you're kind of either in the place that you bought, you were born in or you're in yeah. a new place every single week. Yeah. At this point I would probably go with, especially even where my family is right now. I think living in a different place every week would be a gift that I, I could give. Cause you even mentioned Barbados. That's a place I would like to go. I've never been, uh, I, again, I've been very, very, very fortunate to be able to go to a lot of great places in this world. And the concept of being able to take my family at a one week, you tell me I get to go a week. Do I have a pretty good budget? How's the budget? Do I got a good budget? I think this is your thing. It's your question. Okay. So good. I, I assume okay, your good. budget. I mean, you've getting, got a pretty good hey, business that you can run from anywhere. So I'd say you, you're probably set. We're gonna, well, I, I'm going to bump. I'm going to add one more comma to my bank account. And we're going to go with I'm staying at the St. Regis and I'm staying at the Ritz everywhere we go. So yeah. that's what we're doing. So nice. we're going to go We're going to go a different place every week. Go ahead. What's the next All right, one? And then, and then the final question, because we're not, we're not doing any comebacksies. But the final question, and it's, in many ways, it's the most important question. This one is actually was in season one as well. It's featured. But I think it's such an important one that we continued. Mike, last question. What makes you happiest? Hmm. There is there is nothing more heartwarming to me than when I'm around someone and they 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 have laughter and they have joy. There's not there's nothing 
whether it's my seven-year-old daughter's um, laugh that is just, I wish the whole world could experience it or um, a friend or someone that has overcome cancer and has come to one of my classes and they say, man, I've looked forward to this more than anything as I've gone through chemotherapy. Like there's things that hit me so deep to my spine and into my core that, that hit me the right way. There's just nothing, there's just nothing better in the world, Martin. I mean, really just, just genuinely bringing some sort of, of peace, happiness, or joy to someone else's life. I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's just the rawest answer I could give you. Huh. What an amazing answer to top off such an amazing podcast. Mike, that brings us to the end. You have been phenomenal. Thank you so much for um, sharing uh, your your experience, your colorful past, the learnings um, from that. And uh, of course, the answer to all of these, um, these uh, crazy new questions that we've got. Thank you for taking the time today to share and give value to the audience. Well, you're a great interviewer. You really were. You were an absolute joy to spend time with. Thank you, Martin. Hey, Martin here again with an audio goodie bag of a bonus before you head off. First up, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please subscribe and follow Smarter Destiny across iTunes, YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. It really helps spread our message and you'll get valuable content along the way too. Secondly, if you have an e-commerce business or are thinking of starting one, grab a copy of my new book, 1% Secret, recommended by Kevin Harrington and a host of other elite guys even better it's free just help out with the shipping costs so head to smarterdestiny.com forward slash book to grab your free copy thanks so much and i'll see you on the next episode